You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Ridgecrest Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri. To connect with us or learn more, visit us online at ridgecrestbaptist.org. And if you do have your copy of Scripture, let's just dive on in to the book of Acts chapter 11, and we will pick up there in verse 19. So if you will, please, why don't you stand with me as we stand on the solid rock of God's holy word, and let's listen to this passage that reminds us of the first moment when we, as a people of faith, were called Christians. Notice this. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord." The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And here's the line. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Let's pray. Lord, we today would like to know how to serve you better. God, we we want to know how to be a people who honor you and honor the name Christ. I pray that you will help us see here in the book of Acts the basics, the elements, the foundation of what it means to be a Christ follower. Help us to know these things, Lord, so that we can share the wonderful truth, the wonderful truth of the gospel. And we pray this all in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, I anticipate that you're going to be super excited today and wound up more than usual because of some football game that's going to be on later today. It's kind of interesting. This is the perfect convergence of Valentine's Day and a Chiefs game because there's so much red in here. And I want you to know if you are a 49ers fan, Jesus loves you too, okay? I know you're feeling, I know you're feeling a little persecuted right now, all right? And the truth is, I even have uh, the, the Chiefs emblem on my tie here. 49ers fans, notice this. I'm covering it up so now you can hear the message of Jesus, okay? It's okay. It's all right. Well, it's kind of interesting, you know, this whole football thing. It sort of shows just how crazy our country is, to be honest with you. I read an article that said that if you want the, the, the number one suite that holds 20 people at the Super Bowl, you will be paying a cool $2.5 million. You know what that gets you? It gets you 20 tickets to a football game. It gets you some free food where you have some like Wagyu nachos or something like that. Get your parking. Hey, you get your parking thrown in there for just $125,000 per person. Now, that's not the basic package, is it? It's not very basic. What does it mean when we say basic? It's, 
usually a word that doesn't get our hopes up. In fact, we're, we're probably going to be a little bit down as Americans when we start talking about something being just basic. You know, if you're getting the basic package on your TV, what that means is you get channel 10, a home shopping channel, two channels that show nothing but old westerns that nobody cares about, and a cooking channel that instructs us in Finnish cooking. So that's all you get. That's all you get. I don't know what Finnish cooking's like. I assume it's not very good. But anyway, if anybody of you know different, just prove me wrong, okay? Or it may be a basic package on your car. That means you're going to be rolling down your windows, right? And you're going to have hubcaps on your 13-inch wheels. That's what the basic package is on a car, all right? None of that sounds all that good, but I want to make a case for you this morning that the best kind of Christianity is the most basic kind of Christianity. I want to make a case this morning that we don't have to be fancy in any way. We don't, we don't have to try to be something for someone else. We just need to be all for Jesus And I want to show you what that looks like because it's not about bells and whistles. It really is about simplicity. And I just, I couldn't uh, help but think about on a day like today when we are going to see wealth and power and privilege on television, unlike we see it at any other time of the year. I mean, this is a big day. It is like a holiday. People talk about this, prepare for this. And it's also complicated. I think this is why the Christian message is so important today. I think people are longing for something simple and true. And I think that if we will take some, some impetus here, if we will take, take uh, some, some energy and pour into this idea, I think God will bless us. Really what I'm doing today is not all that creative, new, or clever. In fact, this is almost exactly what C.S. Lewis did back in the 1940s and 50s when he did a radio show uh, on the BBC that turned into a book called Mere Christianity. From time to time, I'll throw out a book that you ought to read. There's one you ought to read, Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. And mere, in the English way of speaking, means basic or simple. And I believe that that is exactly what the church needs, not just 72 years ago, but today. We need a base. We need a foundation. We need something to build on. I think God wants us to reach our community. Amen? And if we're going to do that, we better build something solid. We want to build something that doesn't just reach people, but helps disciple them and change them. That's why we are in the book of Acts. The book of Acts is the best book for us because we can look over the shoulder of the apostles. You know, that's basically what an apprenticeship is, right? You follow somebody who knows what they're doing. You look over their shoulder and you learn how to do it. When we are reading the book of Acts, do you realize that's what we're doing? We're just looking over the shoulder of the apostles and seeing what they did to reach the world. And it was really simple. The simple teachings of Jesus and living for Christ. The people in Antioch were so good at basic faith that this was the first place where they were called Christians. Acts eleven twenty six. 26. Now, I realize that when we read a passage like this, okay, Antioch, doesn't mean much to us. If we've been reading the scriptures all of our life, we know that name. We know it's probably connected with a pretty good church. We know Paul was involved in it, maybe. Maybe you know these things. But the ancient city of Antioch was quite a big deal. It was the fourth biggest city in the Roman Empire, okay? And that was an empire that was known for big cities. It was a wealthy city. It had some of the greatest wealth in all the world. All the riches of Asia Minor flowed through that city and on to the rest of the Roman Empire. In fact, this was not the ideal place to build a church because the Romans considered Antioch a wicked city. Let me say that again. The Romans 
considered Antioch a wicked city. The Romans were known for every vice in the world, and their satirist, juvenile to name one, said that all of the sewer from Antioch somehow ended up in Rome. That's how bad it was. It was such a difficult city because the gods and goddesses of the Middle East and of Asia Minor and of Asia were well-rooted. Let me tell you something. These ancient gods, they were demon gods. They had power that was not from above. It was from below. I just got off the phone two days ago with a friend who is doing some ministry um, in Africa. And the things he told me, let me tell you, the demon gods are still at work around the world. And the demon gods were very much at work in Antioch. The Christian church looked so small and so humble and so incapable of making even a dent into a city like this. It looked impossible, but it happened because there was a sense of basic Christianity. There was something simple going on here where the people of God lived in the power of God and changed the world for God. I believe when we look at our culture today, just watch the Super Bowl today. Just watch, look at what is there. Notice that, that not just what is there, but what is around it. There is wickedness all around that football game. It is well known that trafficking and all kinds of terrible things have followed the Super Bowl now for decades. When we look at that kind of wealth and power, listen, people can pay $2.5 million to go to a football game. That's wealth and decadence. It is on display. We look at that and we say, what can we do to make a difference? What can we do to make a dent in that? I think the apostles are going to show us because here's the deal. Here's my premise. This is what I'm going to argue from is this one simple sentence. The most radical way to live is to live a gospel life. If you want to shake up the world, then let Jesus shake you up. If you want to make a difference, if you believe that there are hurting people in the world that need something different, need what you have been given, need what you have found in Christ, then I am going to implore you, I am going to beg you to please, please become a spirit-filled Christian living a simple gospel life. Let me show you what that looks like here in the text of Scripture first. If we want to be a basic Christian, we need to understand a Christian preaches Jesus as Lord. A Christian preaches Jesus as Lord. All the way back a few chapters ago in chapter 8 verse 4, uh, we left off with the persecution and then the death of Stephen. After Stephen, the church begins to spread out into uh, the, the world, really. It leaves Jerusalem and begins to go out into the world. We pick up here in 1119, kind of where we left off in Acts 8.4. And now we're seeing kind of what happened after Stephen's martyrdom. We've been talking about Peter and Cornelius and all that, which was important. But what we're seeing here is kind of a different movement. Peter's movement is a little bit different, but this movement sort of happened out of persecution. The church begins to grow, believe it or not, because of death, because someone gave their life for Christ. And it is here in this city that we pick up our story. And in the first century world, we see this city that was so strong and powerful. I've already shared with you that it was a center of cultic uh, prostitution. It was a center of terrible things. So not just they were worshiping gods, but they did terrible things to worship those gods. It was the dirtiest of dirty cities. 
And I want you to know that if you could go back in time and walk the streets of Antioch, I don't think it would be that much different than, say, if we were to get together and walk the streets of Las Vegas uh, tonight, or the streets of New Orleans tonight, or for that matter, Rome, or Paris, or London, any place where people have gathered to do uh, bad things. That's the way Antioch was, because it was filled with broken, hurting people. Now, I say these things about our culture, not to be ugly, not to be hateful, but I want you to know we need to be broken about sin. Because I want you to know that those sinners and the sins that they are committing, they are hurting themselves and they are hurting others. If we care about souls, we want to share Jesus with people because it will change their lives. It will get them out of the darkness and help them find a better way. There is joy in the Lord that the world can never give us. And that simple idea was the spark that started the flame that brought the revival that we see in the book of Acts. The city of Antioch was mostly Gentile, 400,000 people, probably about 25,000 Jewish residents. These Jewish residents would have been the very first Christians, those who had received Christ. And if you'll notice in the text, it tells us that at first, these Jewish people who became Christians were only sharing their faith with other Jews. But the cosmopolitan nature of this city, notice it mentions Cyprus and Cyrene. These are other places in an island and a place in North Africa. What we see here is, is that Antioch was a big city, but it was also a commercial hub. So what began to happen is, is these Jewish people got to talking about Jesus. They got so excited about Jesus that the message of Jesus started uh, getting a hold of Gentiles. And those Gentiles were taking the message with them organically. They didn't go to seminary. They didn't go to Bible school. They just learned about Jesus, were excited about Jesus, and they took Jesus to the Mediterranean world and to North Africa. Jesus began to, to go everywhere. Note that the, the uh, text tells us here that the gospel was then preached to the Hellenists. That means the Greeks. It was declared that word preached is important. I know we've talked about this a little bit. This is preaching, but we're all called to preach because we're all called to declare. The word here is just talking about, talking about Jesus. And so we begin to see this change that we've been talking about the last couple of weeks where Peter and Cornelius show us this change from the religion of Jesus being more than a Jewish thing. We see it changing into a Gentile thing. Well, the same thing is happening here. It is a message of Jesus that is, is being spread out into the Greek world. So what were they declaring? Well, the text tells us very plainly here what they were declaring. They were preaching the Lord Jesus. Notice that in verse 20. They were preaching the Lord Jesus. In other words, they were preaching that Jesus is Lord the most important part of our Christian faith is that Jesus is the Messiah. The most important part of our faith is for people to know we believe that Jesus is the Lord God. Amen? Amen. They were doing no more and no less than saying that. Now, I want to tell you, everybody in this room is devoted. You are serving somebody or something in your life. What you devote your best to, your strength, your time, that someone or something is your Lord. Too many people were giving their lives to lesser lords here in the first century. Nothing has changed. 
So many people in our world today, they would say they're not religious, but they don't know what they're talking about because they're very devoted to their sins. They are very devoted. They worship at the altar of self, and they make sure that they take care of self, and they're empty because there's no hope in self. When we are focused on ourselves, we are the most miserable people in the world. When we are focused on God and others, that's when the joy begins. And we need to understand that, that everybody is devoted to somebody or something. And if it's anybody other than Jesus, if it's anything other than the gospel, it's a dead end. Literally and figuratively. It's a dead end. Yesterday, I spent some time in the Song of Songs. Wow. What a Saturday morning. The Song of Songs is a very difficult book to read because it just doesn't make a lot of sense. It's like love poetry in the Old Testament. It's like going to grandma's and talking about love. I don't know. It's just strange, okay? You don't expect it in the Old Testament. It's the Old Testament, okay? But nonetheless, it's there. I was reading it yesterday, and here's the thought that I had. As I was thinking about this message I'm preaching to you today, and what it means to declare Jesus as Lord, and what it means to be devoted to Jesus. The Lord impressed this upon my heart. You know, the Bible tells us that the church is the bride of Christ, amen? We are the bride, he is the groom. And too many of us have allowed this relationship with God to become a marriage of convenience. A marriage of convenience. What do you mean, pastor? What are you saying about my faith? If your faith in Jesus is about you getting to heaven, if that's all you think about, if your faith in Jesus is just about feeling good about yourself, you have turned your relationship with God from something that it should be to something that it ought not be. You have arranged a relationship that is no longer about loving God, but just making sure that God's loving you. Too many of us are devoted to too many things, and we have lost our first love. To say that we are called to preach that Jesus is Lord, everybody in here goes, yes, but I'm asking you, are you filled with the love of Jesus? Because until you are filled with the love of Jesus, you can tell people Jesus is Lord all day long, but they see what you love. And they realize that what you love is something less than God. We need people who, like the people of Antioch, are saying that Jesus is Lord and that people can feel the love of God through us. Listen, the world today needs the love of Jesus. Amen? Amen. The world can have the love of Jesus through you. You. You are it. You are the bride of Christ. You are the body of Christ. You have the ability. If you will devote yourself, if you will turn from this wickedness in your life, making the church something less than it is, making Christ something less than he is, if you will go away from this marriage of convenience and begin to have passion for Jesus again, you will change the world. Have passion for Jesus. And if you will, that's what will drive your witness. People will want to know about you because you will have Jesus. They will know you're a Christian by your love. Secondly, a Christian 
depends on grace and remains faithful to the Lord. If you'll notice here that the purity of the faith has always been a major concern of the church. If you're reading between the lines in this text, you see a revival happening in Antioch, but the church in Jerusalem wants to make sure that that revival is staying anchored to the teachings of Jesus. So they send Barnabas to go and check on things. Now, today we say, oh, it's big brother or whatever, but in the church throughout history, if there isn't someone holding their hand on the wheel of orthodoxy, on, on what the Bible says, it's very, very quick that we start taking our hands off the wheel. We try to do autopilot, and then we're going to wreck. If your Tesla does autopilot, good. I don't trust it. I don't trust you. But nonetheless, <laughs> church, we got to keep our hands on the wheel, we have to keep our hands on the wheel. And the early church understood this because here's the deal. When people get away from basic Christianity, it is no longer Christian faith. When we get away from the basics and, and, and the most simple elements of gospel preaching, I've had a few people give me a compliment the last six months. They say, Pastor, you're, just, you're preaching very simply. We're just talking about simple things, like, like gospel things. And I'm like... Yes, that's exactly what we're doing. You know why I'm doing it? Because I am convinced we're not doing it. And we're not living it like we should. We, you, wanna, you want me to go to Revelation and try to give you the answer to the end of the world? Listen, forget the end of the world. Share Jesus at lunch today. Forget about all those things that, that, you, that you enjoy reading about and, and trying to figure out the mysteries of the universe. Those mysteries are fine. It's okay to dig deep. I love to dig deep. But at some point, we have to just dig into sharing the gospel. We need the grace of God. Notice verse 23. It says this. When he came, Barnabas, and saw the grace of God, he was glad. So what did Barnabas see? He just saw grace because one of the primary marks of basic Christianity is grace. Yes, if we are going to be called Christians, we have a love for Jesus. But if we have a love for Jesus, then we will live out grace. Living out grace means this, that we are not out there being the moral police. We're not, our job isn't to go out there and just tell everybody where they're wrong. Our job is to show grace and mercy, and the reason why is because you were saved because of grace and mercy. Amen. You were not saved because you were better than somebody else. You were saved because God loves you and saved you and gave you mercy. It's time for us to live that same way, to show the love of Jesus through grace. The world needs to see grace, not arrogance, not we're not confident in ourselves. We're not confident in our arguments. We're not saying we're better than anybody else. We're saying we've been blessed by God. And we want to be a blessing. Those who have been blessed by God, don't they, shouldn't they be a blessing to others? That's the simple truth from Genesis chapter 12. Abraham was blessed so that he could be a blessing. You were saved so that you could be a blessing. People don't need a religion. They don't need to be told what to do. First and foremost, they need to see the love of Jesus and understand the grace of Jesus, that it is the grace of Jesus that saves us. Baptists like to talk about perseverance of the faith. What does that mean? Here's what it means. It means you were saved by the love of Jesus and you're living in the grace of Jesus. To persevere in the faith just means that you continue to walk in grace with Jesus. 
And if you are truly saved by the love of Jesus, you will continue to walk in the grace of Jesus. This is basic Christianity. Only a heart completely changed by Jesus will even want to live for Jesus. And I just want to say, if you don't want to live for Jesus, then we need to ask the question, are, are you changed? Are you, are you saved? Have you been uh, turned from your sins? You see, Christians are to be different from the moment they are born again. I'm not saying that you're perfect, but you have a new affection. You have new affections. You, you, you want to love the right things and not the wrong things in life. If you have been saved by the love of Jesus and you're walking in the grace of Jesus, then you have new affections. You're not showing off. You just want to bring people closer to God. This is not an easy thing to do. It requires some supernatural power. And the third element of what it means to be a Christian is a Christian is filled with the Holy Spirit. I sometimes joke, I know that Southern Baptists over the years have had a little bit of trouble with the, the concept and the notion of the Holy Spirit, and lovingly, and the best way I know how to say this is, get over it. Get over it. So don't worry about the extremes of the charismatic movement when you don't know anything about the joy of the Lord to begin with. I'm more worried about joyless Christians than I am about charismatic ones. At least the charismatic ones are more fun than you. I'm playing. Probably just got fired. But anyway. No, I know better. Because this church has a history of leaning into the Holy Spirit. We, we try our best. We know that our best is not enough. We know that to make a difference in worship, to make a difference in ministry, we need supernatural empowering. And if you look at the text here, you see that Barnabas is said to have been a good man, but it also says he was full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. If we are going to be good men and women, we also need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So listen to this. One can find good men and women in the world doing good things, but there is a difference between good things and God things. We are not called to do mere good deeds. We are called to do God things. And when we do God things, that means we need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. We need strength beyond human strength. We want nothing less than God things happening here. We want people that are filled with the Holy Spirit because when people are filled with the Holy Spirit, they are contagious in Christ. And I know contagion this time of year doesn't sound like a good word, but Baptists, we need to be the most contagious Christians on the planet. And I'm not talking about that bug that makes you sick. I'm talking about that faith that makes you glow. God wants you to be contagious when you let the love of Jesus and the grace of Jesus and then the Holy Spirit empower you, you will be a difference maker. Barnabas realizes that God is doing something great. A revival breaks out there in Antioch. But notice what it says in verse 25. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. Saul comes back into the narrative. What's going on here? Barnabas is filled with the Holy Spirit. That's a good man. He has the leadership capacity to at least get this Antioch thing off the ground. But what does he do? 
he immediately looks for somebody that can help him multiply the ministry. I have to tell you, when I read that yesterday, it wasn't until yesterday, I wrote this many, many weeks ago, it wasn't until yesterday that it all kind of came together. And I don't mean to use my sermon as a time for announcement, but I'm going to tell you something. Back about six months ago, a little more than that, I began to realize that, that if we were going to multiply our ministries here, if we were going to reach our community, I needed somebody else on staff that had a skill set different than mine and different than anything we had on staff. Well, we've gone through a process, and I'll be introducing to you next week a man who is coming to help us multiply our ministry. He will help us to look at our community and look all around the world for ways to multiply our ministry. We're bringing him on staff, and he's going to be a blessing to our church. I'll introduce him to you next week, so more to follow. But I was reading this, and it just reminded me that sometimes a guy realizes that he needs help. A leader realizes that there's not enough wisdom in his own heart. The skill set just isn't there. And, and that's what God began to show me six months ago. And I'm looking at this text and I see it would have been a good thing if Barnabas just stayed as the leader of the church. But because he brought Saul of Tarsus, a good thing turned into a, a God thing. Great's okay too, but if we're going with the G's I have in my notes, we're going to say good to God, okay? So let's stick with my notes today. And then, Anyway, good to God. It would have been good. Barnabas was good enough. God was already working through him, no doubt about it. But good went to God because Saul was brought into the equation. Oh, friends, what a beautiful thing. We can't think small when we commit our hearts to the simple gospel because the simple gospel cannot be contained. It's not going to be contained. If you'll look at this text, you'll notice that it could not be contained. The Holy Spirit is the power behind all that's happening. And those filled with the fire of the Holy Spirit can bring light and warmth to the whole world. God begins a great work here in bringing this light and this love and this flame. In fact, it is in Antioch. They were first called Christians, but in many ways it was in Antioch that we see the first great revival and missional movement. All because they loved Jesus they lived in the grace of Jesus. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. And then finally, a Christian effectively shares their faith. If all those other things I mentioned to you are operative, loving Jesus, living grace, filled with the Holy Spirit, how do we know that those things are operative? We share our faith. This fourth element is as much a product of those first three as just another part of the list. It really shows where we go when we are allowing the fullness of the love of Jesus to take over. If we are going to share the gospel 8,400 times, and by the way, out there is that box, and there's those ping pong balls that you put in when you have a gospel conversation. And what I'm noticing is, is we're all thinking, like, should I or shouldn't I, if I shared, if I talked about Jesus to somebody, listen, don't overthink it. If you're talking about Jesus and talking about the cross and salvation, then that counts. Put it in that box, okay? And don't, don't, don't do it, um, you know, kind of like that parable of Jesus where you go and say, hey, everybody, I'm putting in 10 ping pong balls. Look at me. No, sneak it in there, will you? Just sneak it in there. Sneak it in there, but do it. And if you're sharing your faith, put those ping pong balls in that box because that's how we are collectively uh, celebrating the work of evangelism in our church. 
Because if we say we love Jesus, if we say we are living in grace, if we say we are filled with the Holy Spirit, then we will share our faith. I want to show you something. There are three times in the text, verse 21, verse 24, and verse 26, where it mentions a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Three times in our short passage, it says a great number. When we are allowing the love of Jesus, the grace of Jesus, and the power of the Holy Spirit to take over everything, then the results are great because they are of God, as we said earlier. So here's a few questions for us as we wind things down here. Do you talk enough about Jesus that someone would accuse you of being a Christian? They were accused of being Christians in Antioch. Could you be? Do you love Jesus and serve the hurting like Jesus did enough that someone might call you a Christian? So that's more of a question about your serving, your ministry. Are you looking for vulnerable, hurting people that need the love of Jesus? The third question is this. Do you turn the other cheek when someone assaults you or slanders you? As a Christian should, we should be able to turn the other cheek. One of the things I've noticed in my life, this is one of the hardest things. As Americans, we are very, very tuned into justice. When someone's misbehaving, we don't like it. But I want to tell you something. Their misbehaving is one thing. You failing to share the gospel with them is a whole other thing. Your anger and frustration, your lack of love is unacceptable. Turn the other cheek. And then finally, is your life a picture of grace and forgiveness or works and frustration? I want you to think about those, those words, works and frustration. If we are not filled with love and grace and the Holy Spirit, we're going to try really hard and we're going to fail really bad. And I see many, many of us as believers, many of you have been walking with Jesus a long time. If I had to pin you down with one word, I would say frustration is probably a pretty good one. You're frustrated with the world. You don't like where things are going. You're very upset about the, the, the current of the culture. I get it. You, you're, you're frustrated with, with ministry even. Maybe you've put yourself out there and been hurt and you just don't know what to do. Let me say this. Life in general is a frustrating thing. The only way we fight back is the love of Jesus filling us every day, the grace of Jesus filling us every day, the Holy Spirit filling us every day. If those things are not happening, those basic things, we will not be the Christians we are called to be. But I believe if you can get it right, if you can get these basic elements down pat, if you'll think about them, if you'll grow in them, you'll know the difference. What is a Christian? Well, here in Antioch, they were lovers of God, living in grace, filled with the Holy Spirit, sharing their faith. Let's do everything we can, amen, amen. to be like that. Thanks for listening. For additional resources, to learn more about us or get connected, visit RidgecrestBaptist.org.